Hello, everyone. Welcome back. I'm joined today by Dr. Stephen Greer. How are you, Dr. Good. Greer? Good. Doing great. Glad to be with you. Thanks so much for coming on the pod. Uh, what, what time is it? Wait, it's 9 p.m. where I am. It's, uh, it's 4.30 Eastern. I'm on the East Coast near University of uh, Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, a little bit about your background. First of all, you used to be um, a medical doctor. And then at what point did you decide, OK, I'm giving this up. I'm going to mm -hmm. find out as much as I can about ETs and reveal as much information as right. I can. Well, I'm an emergency doctor, uh, trauma, um, and was chairman of an emergency department, which is its own specialty in the United States. Um, some years ago, I got involved with this issue, and while working as a doctor, ended up being asked to come up to brief the, um, the CIA director for Bill Clinton back in a long time ago, before you guys were born, about this issue, about UFOs and extraterrestrial intelligence, because surprisingly, the president and the CIA director have been uh, asking about this subject. It's the first thing every president asks about, by the way. Um, and they were not told anything. They were basically lied to. So you can throw, you can chuck your history books and civics books out the door. So I continued to sort of do shuttle diplomacy from where I was working in North Carolina up to D.C., Washington. And finally, uh, after many years of doing that, you know, uh, left medicine to fix this problem and bring this information out to the public. So it was sort of a transition over many, many years. I see. Okay. Well, that's, that's such fascinating um, that you used to, that you briefed Bill Clinton. Have you continued to brief presidents since then? Well, I have put a briefing materials together, a document that's a big several hundred page document together for every president since Bill Clinton and have met with a lot of people, uh, Senate Intelligence Committee. I had a wonderful meeting with people at your Ministry of Defense and also the former head of your Ministry of Defense, uh, who's now passed away, Lord Hill Norton, who, as you know, may know, um, was very interested in this and called for this being investigated in the House of Lords. But of course, nothing came of that. It was all hushed up. Um, but uh, I, I was at his home out near uh, in Hampshire, and we had a very long discussion. He basically wanted to know why, as Minister of Defense, which, of course, in your country is also head of MI5 and MI6. So it's sort of like being your CIA director com combined with your, your head of your military in one position. He was never given information on these secret programs. And um, he was quite angry, frankly, about it. So when I was at his home, he called it his cottage, which was one of those fabulous old 16, 1700s, thatched huge houses out in the country. Um, you know, this is what we talked about. So I've, I've been doing this for a long time with people um, in various positions. The, the, the public misguidedly thinks that, number one, the media is going to tell you anything truthful about this because they're not. Uh, and number two, that your senior government officials, that most of them are read into it or briefed on it because they're not. That's the whole nature of, of if, you, if you have Amazon Prime in the UK, I think you do, mm. um, you can see two documentaries up there. One's called Unacknowledged, which came out about three years ago. And it's about unacknowledged special access projects, which are the super secret ones that you know, are so classified in deep black that they lie to presidents and prime ministers and ministers of defense, et cetera, all the time. And the other one that just came out is called Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. There's a two-hour feature film. It's been number one in the world since it came out in April. Um, that is about the teams we're putting together to contact these civilizations and bypassing the dysfunction and stupidity of the government. 
Yeah, I just watched. So I just watched Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. Uh, if anyone hasn't seen it, who's listening or watching, it's a, it's about it's about a lot of things. It's about how the government have have, have covered up information about ETs. Um, why do you call them ETs, by the way? You, you you don't like to call them aliens. Well, aliens have a scary and xenophobic connotation, and also in America, if you say alien, people think it's someone from Guatemala or Mexico. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's 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 used all the time to describe people who are you know coming across the southern border. So I just find it more precise to call them uh, ETs or extraterrestrial. By the way, the word alien, even in the UFO subculture, is is mixed up in a whole bunch of different phenomena, plural, being called one thing, alien. And in reality, there are three things going on out there. One are actual extraterrestrial vehicles and extraterrestrial biological entities, EMINs, as they're called. The other are classified aircraft made by Lockheed Martin Skunk Works and my uncle's old company, Northrop Grumman. Northrop Grumman, Grumman designed the lunar module that landed on the moon with Neil Armstrong. That was my uncle's project. He was a senior uh, project engineer on that. And then, um, the, the, and, and so many of the things people see are actually man-made, but they're highly classified. And the third category or weird phenomenon, let's call it like stranger things sort of weirdness that people call alien, but they're actually from another dimension and aren't, aren't extraterrestrial at all. So all those three categories get kind of lumped into one thing. It's sort of like as a doctor, I look back in the 1700s where anyone who had any mental problem, a seizure or brain tumor were all called mad. And now we know that there's schizophrenia, but there are also seizure disorders, which can be treated uh, medically. And there are brain tumors that can cause hallucinations and things that can be treated or excised or what have you. We're at that stage now on this subject where every, there's a whole lot of different things being called one phenomenon incorrectly. So that's the first, what I call it sort of ET 101 people need to learn. Right. Okay. First, oh God, I have so many questions. This, this is so annoying that we only have a limited amount of time, but, um, but right. So, so of course, there's, uh, you talk about, um, yep, government classified government information about ETs, which you just touched on a little bit, but, all, but the, the kind of the most striking thing about the film is, is these CE fives, right? Which are these, events i guess i guess would you call would you probably say agree that it's the most controversial part of the of the film it's the most controversial to the mainstream population only because they have been deliberately miseducated on the subject i will tell you that my original project was ce5 contact and by the way people can go to their app stores and get a app that trains you in how to do this but when i first started doing that in 1990 um, within two years, we had made successful contact with uh, ET op- a craft uh, off the coast of uh, Florida and Pensacola, near Pensacola. And when that happened, unfortunately, or fortunately or unfortunately, it depends how you look at it, um, a photograph was taken of one of these extraterrestrial vehicles that popped into this dimension, and it was on the front page of the newspaper. And sh- shortly thereafter, I got a call from the head of Army Intelligence saying, you know, just what the hell do you think you're doing? Actually, it was more like, what the F do you think you're doing? And I said, well, this is what we're doing. And if you don't like it, go pound salt. Too bad. We're going to do it anyway. But it, it sort of kicked what I was doing up. And the intelligence community and the military understand that what we're doing with CE5 contact is 100% legitimate. 
Now, in the mainstream media, which are you know mostly shills that are working on behalf of, of people covering this stuff up, in my opinion, uh, most of them, they're, they're either uninformed or they're on the payroll of the agency. Um, those, those people will want to ridicule it because it's something that's kind of far out, um, which, you know, as, as Arthur C. Clarke said, any civilization sufficiently advanced to go from one star system to here, all of their technologies are going to look like magic to us. So, as you know, Elon Musk, of, of, uh, who has Tesla and SpaceX, he's working on, has a company where, based on a lot of the stuff we started putting out about consciousness, is trying to develop a technology so you can think to your computer and it turns on. It's not electromagnetic. It's actuated with thought. Now, that sounds really far out there until you look at the research that's mentioned in this documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind, and the big science, by the way, those of you who are science people, the next thousand years is going to be the science of consciousness and non-locality, what they call in physics, entanglement, non-locality. And it turns out that every point in space and time is connected to every other point in space and time through this consciousness field. And that this has been demonstrated in laboratories at Princeton and elsewhere by Dr. John and others. And, and that work is cited in this documentary, Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind. But of course, that's a very quick tour de force of a two-hour film on, on, on material that really would take several hundred hours to really do an unpacking deep dive in. But, um, but for that reason, the Close Encounters of the Fifth Kind initiative, CE5 Contact Initiative, um, is actually very, very solidly based in science, even though it seems whew, way out there. You know, by the way, I was in the UK back in 92, um, out near Alton Barnes in Wiltshire. And we were doing the CE5 contact protocols up on Wood, near Woodborough Hill. And we actually had an ET craft materialize in the field about 10 feet above the ground. It was about 100 feet in diameter. And of course, it became a very famous event that got kicked up to the prime minister and the Ministry of Defense. And I got called a few months later to meet with the MOD in London about this. But um, so there's a lot of history with what we've done in the UK, by the way. It's it, the thing, I think the reason, because I understand kind of the science of consciousness and that this technology is going to be controlled by consciousness. I think that maybe a lot of the skepticism people, and, and obviously there are, there are kind of uh, accounts of people who've, who've seen, who've seen these things, but maybe, maybe it's just, I, I suppose what I'm, trying to, what I'm trying to get at, is there some kind of, what, like, what do you say, I'm babbling, what, what would you say to someone um, who is skeptical like what is the the most concrete kind of evidence that look there are ets out there and we can communicate with them in a trans-dimensional consciousness way well first of all look at the documentary and secondly read the books that we have and we have several books um, based on those experiences that have the photographs and the information and um we just had an AI, artificial intelligence expert, um, refine one of the pictures that are in the documentary of the ET that appeared uh, in our circle up in Arizona a couple years ago that healed a, a man who had had 50 years of hearing loss since he was a teenager. And uh, it's, it's quite clear that this is a biological ET that came in and out of space time. And uh, these are all unretouched original photographs. So I tell people, 
you know, it's, it's, it's the research is there, even if it's far out. But I tell also, I always remind people, you know, if we, if, if cavemen were trying to detect us, they would be looking for what smoke signals or something, but we're using electromagnetics civilizations that go beyond the speed of light, which is beyond the speed of electromagnetic signals, which is what you and I are using right now. The, you know, they're so far more advanced that they're using technologies and it is technological. It's not like a Ouija board up in space. They're technologies that interface with coherent directed thought, a quanta of thought. And, and this sounds very controversial until you begin to dive into the really solid research that's been done at academic institutions, uh, albeit controversial, because it flies in the face of reductionism, you know, the sort of scientific model that everything is just bits and pieces and parts, um, as opposed to holism and this concept of the consciousness field. But, you know, human experience for millennia have sort of indicated this is possible. Now science is catching up. So it's sort of where... Uh, you would say sort of mysticism and consciousness is catching and physics are coming together in this whole field of study, um, such as what the Institute of Noetic Sciences and, and other groups are looking into. But that's what we're doing clinically. I mean, we're basically going out into the stars with teams of people using those concepts to make contact with these civilizations. And they, they show up. And, and you know, it's not like they show up willy-nilly. You have to set up the right conditions and you have to do this for the purpose of some uh, diplomatic, uh, you know, uh, purpose rather than just the curiosity and, and the, you know, usual human stupidity, frankly. They're not interested in a bunch of primates running around like, you know, cavemen being idiotic. But they're very interested in people doing this for a serious reason. And the reason they are, these civilizations, is that the governments have completely dropped the ball on this. Unfortunately, the covert programs dealing with UFO issues have militarized the issue. Uh, we've chased these objects. Uh, we've used electronic warfare systems that are quite classified to target them and knock them down. Um, I know people, uh, in fact, a very good friend of mine just died last week named Clifford Stone, who was on a team, army sergeant, who retrieved the bodies and the craft after we had downed them. But his specialty was using consciousness and thought, sort of telepathy, we would call it, but more specifically in a scientific uh, uh, model to communicate with the ones who are still alive. And uh, his, he's one of our disclosure project witnesses. If you go to my YouTube channel, um, you'll see that we have, I think, about 70 top secret military people's testimonies and, and documents and even schematics of, of these ET craft and uh, man-made craft we, as well. Can we hear a little bit about that? Because what I would want to know, you know, in these these autopsies or in these or in these um, mm -hmm. breakdowns of crafts, what, what exactly are, are they working with? Or what do they, you know, what, 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 do, what do they find in the autopsies as well? Well, you know, this is a great interest to me because I'm a medical doctor. And uh, now you have to keep in mind, as of the late 60s, I think something like uh, 65 or 70 different species had been cataloged uh, from different star systems. So they're very different. I mean, it's not like, you know, they're, they're, it's not like, you know, a different, you know, racial group of humans that are all homo sapiens. I mean, we all share our genetic. These are completely different planetary civilization. So it runs the gamut. I mean, there's one 
uh, civilization whose adults are about a foot, foot and a half tall. There's another one that's 10 to 12 feet tall. Um, many of them are in between. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, autopsies that I'm very familiar with, um, and technically it's a dissection, was uh, the creature had a um, unified heart-lung system where there was one, we have a heart and a lung, but they work together. They had one organ that was basically heart-lung function together. So, you know, they're very different um, physiological, anatomical aspects of this. And, you know, I mean, luckily, I mean, at this point, I have about 980 top secret military people and corporate people who've been giving me information and documents and photographs over the last 30 years, but my archive is quite large. But uh, unfortunately, I doubt you'll ever see any of it in the, in, in the Sunday Times. That's, I mean, that's a shame. I would love to see... Uh, yeah, right. So the, you and everyone else. Yeah, I mean, the idea that they that, that something even remotely resembling a heart or a lung can be found in, a, mm. in an ET is, is crazy to me because you think, well, then they must have developed in a similar way and how did they do that for, I and mean, how far away must they have been to do that well there's sort of you know one of your uh, your fellow uh, british brilliant people i think he's an oxford um, biologist rupert sheldrake who, who talked about morphogenic fields and when you start getting into uh, quantum physics what's called entangled or entanglement it, it appears that once uh, something begins to work in one locale it is like a fractal. It begins to be utilized at remote places. It's sort of like the hundredth monkey effect, but on a cosmic level. So there seems to be, while there's a huge amount of difference, um, biologically, genetically, uh, et cetera, and so on, but amongst species, there's a certain uh, pattern and universality of adaptive form that happens in a, a bioevolutionary way that's tied into this non-local consciousness field, um, which is really uh, begins to explain some of the unusual phenomenon that we even see on this planet, where you can have one group of uh, people start to think of and invent something in one location, and they're not communicating with another, and it pops up in another place. So there's this sort of this resonance factor that's happening non-locally, and the ultimate non-local, meaning that it's not limit, limited to that specific space and time, effect is this consciousness field it's really fascinating and the reason this is I, I began to understand this very well before i was a medical doctor i was i'm dating myself here back in the um the early mid 70s i was a meditation teacher i went around the world um and it was back when you know the beatles and mia Farrow and donovan and all these people were doing all that with the maharishi but I became very much a student of the Sanskrit and the Vedas and became a meditation teacher. So I did a deep dive into understanding consciousness. Later, I found out about the physics of all this, which actually was just beginning to emerge in the 60s and 70s. Now it's pretty well established, although still, I would say not quite mainstream, but it's getting there. Mm. And, and just going back to, to the, the, the dissections and autopsies and, and the spacecraft, is is so have you seen these pictures oh yes i have in fact there's one that i have not been able to release it was on the front of the briefing document that i put together for president trump and vice president pence um and it's from the between 1922 and 1929 
And it's the dissection of an ET on a, on a table with doctors and some military uh, uniformed uh, intelligence people in the background. But that's 100 years ago now. Um, so this is not a new issue. This has been going on for quite some time in highly classified operations. So you couldn't put you couldn't put them in the documentary. This one I didn't actually get it until after the documentary came out, and since then the person who's uh, gave it to me, her grandmother worked at Roswell, New Mexico, and um, that event was in the '40s. But apparently they had an archives that was brought in that had this older photograph that uh, her family found tucked away in a book that fell out, and I just got this a few months ago, actually. Wow, that'll be in the next documentary. Then. Well, if we can get clear, look, it's 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 her family's property. There are a lot of issues with that, but I can describe it to you. And she gave me a permission to put it in the materials for the outgoing president and the incoming president. Right. Wow. Okay. And 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 when you um when you communicate with the when you have these sort of communication events with with uh, ETs, you you describe them as being. Um, sort of quite friendly and loving and not not hostile whereas the kind of mainstream portrayal of aliens is or sorry of ETs is sort of hostile why is there this this uniformity of they're all peaceful and and interested in us well first of all you have to consider the technologies involved now you know the, the military industrial complex is President Eisenhower famously called it and by the way you know, he was a five-star general and a conservative Republican. Um, he called the military-industrial complex as getting out of control. They benefit from war, they benefit from fighting, and they benefit from demagogic division, just like many religious leaders do, frankly. Right. So, you know, they would want to be able to create, as, as, if you look at the documentary, you'll see that uh, Werner von Braun, who, who invented the rocket for Adolf Hitler that bombed London in World War II, he was pulled into our space projects and his spokesperson for the last four, three, four, five years of his life is on my team, Carol Rosen. And, you know, he said, look, this thing is all hoaxed. All this stuff about an alien threat and a threat from the UFOs because that's how you aggrandize people who are making trillions of dollars on, on classified projects and, and war. Uh, you, know, you know, as one guy recently said to me, connected to these projects, there's not a lot of money to be had in dandelions and butterflies. In other words, the truth and something peaceful. There's a lot of money and power to be had on war and division. No, I, mean, I, this is I, one, I totally right. understand that. Yeah, I and so, that. wow, that's how we got into the Iraq war, isn't it? I mean, yeah, we, no, Dick Cheney just made up all the evidence. No, so no, I mean, I'm trying to, yeah. you know, getting to your question, this is why, you know, when we've analyzed this, if you Google this subject, 99 plus percent of the stuff that's going to come up is rubbish, just absolute garbage, frankly. Much of it has been put out there by counterintelligence to deceive the public. So I am actually the world's biggest skeptic on most things alien and UFO. I think most of it's nonsense, um, first of all. But secondly, there's a compelling interest to portray it that way. But then thirdly, let's put a science hat on for just a minute, which of course, we're a scientifically illiterate society virtually at this point. But um, the truth is any civilization that can go interstellar and which means they're transcending space-time beyond the speed of light, the, the kinds of technologies that that would involve, if it was put into a hostile 
weapon system would terminate this planet in a nanosecond. And given the things we've been doing to them, if they were hostile, there would have been pushback. We'd know it. So what I tell people is that the proof of the pudding's in the eating, as we say. The truth is that, you know, there is not a scintilla of evidence that they're hostile. What there is evidence for, which the military doesn't like in the UK and in the US, is that they're very concerned with our hostility and specifically our nuclear weapons and our facilities. And those have been flown over and investigated by these ETs and in some cases have been switched off. The, the nuclear launch capabilities have been terminated because they, they're trying to say, look, we don't want you destroying this planet, but we don't want you going out into space with these weapons either. So this is a huge issue for, for these civilizations. They're watching us. And you look at, you know, in the last hundred years or, or a little more, we've gone from horse and buggies to thermonuclear weapons and going into space. I mean, my uncle's lunar module, but the first man on the moon. So I go, this is a huge concern to very advanced civilizations that have a compelling interest that a primitive civilization such as ours, and we are primitive, but who have fearsome technologies that are destructive, not go too far out in space. Now, the flip side of that, think about it, they would have uh, technologies that would be 100,000 to millions of years more advanced than ours. And those being applied into a weapon system if they were hostile, it'd be point set match. It's over. It'd be, you know, one round at Wimbledon. So I think that this is why we know that there's no foundation for this whole spooky. I mean, it sells Hollywood movies and it sells journals and internet sites and, you know, charlatans on the internet uh, giving talks to scare the, the hell out of people. But I don't think there's any basis for it, in fact, or science or evidence, frankly. And actually, the people I've spoken to, recently in the Pentagon and Capitol Hill in the United States have said, yeah, we know that they're not hostile, but unless we portray them as a threat, we can't get more money. They flat out said that to us. So no, that, it's, I mean, it's all about money and corruption, my friend. No, I totally understand that, um, that, yeah, that you, your war is used as a mechanism to, to maintain power and everything. But, I, I, but what, um, why, if their technology is so advanced, have we managed to shoot them down? It's not very often, but, you know, you could, I mean, a group of uh, Neanderthals with spears and arrows could throw them into the rotors of a Sikorsky helicopter and every once in a while down it. Okay, that's an analogy. So the, the, let's call it the kill rate or, or as you call, say in the Pentagon, isn't high, but it's happened enough times uh, we can prove through the, cr- the retrieval and crash of these objects. And I have people on my team who've been on the teams, they're called NBC teams, nuclear, biological, chemical teams, that that's their cover, uh, like if there's a nuclear accident or a biological spill or what have you, but these are ones that are unacknowledged special access project teams that have been sent in. And I have, if you look at the Disclosure Project, the book, Unacknowledged, which goes with the, do- with the documentary film, Unacknowledged, of course, nobody reads anymore either, well, you do if you're in school. Um, so if you get the book unacknowledged, you'll see that there are transcripts of these military guys, some of whom actually retrieved these objects after they had been apparently targeted. So I think this is a very uh, serious concern. I, you know, I've had conversations at the United Nations with folks about it and with people in Russia 
and, and elsewhere. Um, the problem is uh, the sort of the madman. It's like the it's like that old movie that uh, Stanley Kubrick did. And of course, he was based in London for many years um, called uh, Dr. Strangelove. Um, it's sort of like a bunch of madmen in these super secret projects doing galactically stupid things. But it isn't as if those are being authorized by your prime minister or my president or by the United Nations. It's sort of a rogue, highly classified group that has arrogated to themselves um, the ability to do this. But again, I don't think it's that often that it happens, but it, ha it can happen. And particularly, you know, you have to remember technology doesn't stand still. Trillions of dollars in the United States have gone into research and development and studying extraterrestrial materials and have resulted in some big breakthroughs, although they're classified. And those have been applied into weapon systems that are also classified. So whatever you see on the BBC and CNN about the latest thing that the, the, the military has, that's 20 generations old. I mean, that's it. if it's coming out in the mainstream news, it's an antique, frankly. So just remember that the, the, the very highly classified projects have vastly more advanced systems um, that the public doesn't know about. And those have been deployed uh, on satellites in space and on aircraft and in land based and, and on the ocean to target and track these objects. Again, you know, the, the civilizations are not. Uh, you know, it's not as if the, this is a daily occurrence by any means, but it does happen periodically. And we're talking now for since World War II, 75 years. Uh, so it, it, there have been a number of these events that have happened. I have a man on my team who was at Fort Huachuca, which is out in the desert of Arizona uh, near Tombstone, ironically, uh, which is Army Intelligence Headquarters for the United States um, Army. And there is an underground facility there where back when he was there in the 70s, there were nine separate ET craft that had been downed and storage areas for the bodies that had been dissected, autopsied. And, and if, um, if UFOs are flying close to Earth, is that because, because that suggests that there's, there's some kind of interest, is the interest that they're encouraging people to have a higher consciousness? Or is it something deeper than that? I think there are multiple agendas. One is they're concerned about, as I mentioned, our own violence and going into space militarily and being a threat to potentially other planets someday. But number two, I think they do want people to make contact, but within the, a paradigm that's diplomatic and peaceful rather than military. And that has not been forthcoming from the governments of the world uh, a priori, it's essential that it happened from us, from humans. Um, and that's why the whole CE5 contact concept is sort of like back in the Cold War, there was a group called Physicians for Social Responsibility that were American doctors going over to the USSR to try to create a rapprochement between, you know, uh, in the Cold War between the US and, and, and Russia, what's now Russia. And this is sort of a ver cosmic version of it where people, serious people, but forward looking, would make contact with these civilizations as civilians with no official standing, but for peaceful purposes. And this has not happened on an official level, um, although I was in France back about 10 years ago and led a team with the, uh, an admiral who had been working with President Sarkozy 
And we did an ex expedition in Brittany and had amazing events happen. I mean, they tracked these objects coming over our side at 200,000 kilometers an hour and making right-hand turns and coming in and out of space time. So, you know, and they were very interested. I have a document from the Ministry of Defense of, of, great, of France that committing to wanting to do a long-term project for peaceful contact with these civilizations. But of course, subsequently they got threatened and Sarkozy lost, left office and you know, hopefully somebody someday in France will pick that project back up again. It's very, it's very interesting. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, quite a journey. I know I'm covering a lot very quickly, but uh, hey, you're right. all smart students, right? I appreciate it. Um, and and the, the, the idea, because I mean, this you talk about this event that happened in France. So that is essentially a group of people who are sitting together and connecting on a conscious level with ETs, right? So does that suggest that ETs are constantly monitoring what we're thinking at all times? No. Receive some no, and, and who would want to? My God, how horrible. Um, no, and, and there, are th there are three components. If you get, the app describes this, the CE5 contact is the app. There are three components. There's, there's, we use lasers that we put up. We use electronic tones that we send out over radio frequencies. And then the third is using consciousness to do what the CIA has called remote viewing, where you use consciousness to see remote places, but then use coherent thought, like a laser is coherent light to make contact. So it's those three components coordinated together. And they're quite effective, quite frankly. Um, and, and I think that um, that's why, you know, when I discovered this, when I was, I just turned 18 and I was a first year student in college and um, had gone up to the Blue Ridge Mountains in North Carolina and I was meditating up on a hill and had this whole event take place where I had an encounter with one of these uh, ET beams. And um, we sort of created this concept together and uh, I didn't know what to do with it for years. So I just didn't speak of it publicly uh, until 1990. It's, it's a lot. It's, I'm just trying to, it's, I suppose um, when you, when you hear about uh, lasers and, and sort of consciousness, it's, it's quite easy to sort of think, well, I don't really, it doesn't really sound right. So I don't, how do I take it as, as true? You know, I mean, this, well, you don't take it as true. You, you look at the data. It's like anything, you know, if you were to give a caveman a calculus book, it wouldn't make much sense. I mean, you know, it's a lot to unpack. What I'm saying to people is that it has to be studied. Um, it, it, it's something that has to take some serious investigation. Um, I think the, 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 the mother of science and discovery is independent investigation of the truth and empiricism, which is direct observation. And I think it's very important, by the way, that what I rely on is direct knowledge, whether it's from classified sources or my own teams making contact. There's way too much of an echo chamber where people repeat things second, third, fourth, fifth, 100th hand. And frankly, they don't know what the hell they're talking about. So what I tell people is don't take my word for it. 
set up a team, go out and try it and see what happens. You might be quite shocked. Um, and so I think that's uh, very important because ultimately I, I don't believe in people doing things based on assertions and beliefs. Um, I believe in people doing things based on facts and discovery and independent investigation, which is of course what science and research used to be about. Of course, it's not anymore. It's all become politicized, hasn't it? But, but at the same time, I mean, you say the thing, these things should be based on facts and not beliefs, but there is quite a strong, it feels like to me, emotional element to these interactions with... Oh, yes, entities. it's beautiful. And, yeah, and it is. Of, How can it not be? We're human. That, the kind of sense that if you don't really want to believe, then it's not going to happen. Do you see what I mean? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I don't think these, these civil, it's not like you're doing something in a test tube with a, a set of molecules. You're dealing with intelligent civilizations. They're certainly not interested in, in entertaining some self-important bloke who thinks that, you know, come prove whatever. They, they're not here to prove anything to you or me or to your prime minister. Um, quite frankly, they're, they're, they, because they are conscious and sentient as we are, there is a scientific ap approach to this, but there's also a larger um, interspecies, let's call it communication component that does become based in a set of values and a paradigm. And I think that paradigm has to include uh, sort of a, an advanced sense of, of social development that includes uh, non-locality and consciousness and the consciousness field and also just an understanding what are we going to have in common i mean we're still killing each other in ireland because one person's catholic and one is protestant or in yemen because one's shiite one's sunni or whatever how are we going to deal with this issue which is on our front door now i mean the u.s military and the congress are disclosing all this stuff right now as we speak i mean the uk is lagging but it's coming out, it's all in the media now. So how are we gonna deal with this unless we find some point of commonality? So there is a philosophy that goes with this. It isn't belief, it's more like a, a Vedanta. There's a philosophy about what is, you're awake and conscious and I'm awake. Well, there's, there, that conscious field is actually, as Erwin Schrodinger, who, who founded modern quantum mechanics, particle wave theory, said in 1908, the total number of minds in the universe is one. It's a singularity. So when you begin to understand that and begin to use that as a paradigm, then you say, oh, that's what we have in common with these ETs. It isn't going to be our genetic background, our race, our religion, all this other stuff that people get murder each other over and on this planet it's going to be this understanding of something very deep uh, a very profound level of what it means to be sentient aware self-aware and i think that then that informs how you proceed because you have to then proceed at something that is a deeper and more in fact, i was having a wonderful conversation about this on the phone with uh, um, his grace uh, the duke of marlborough who, if we ever oh, yeah. get, if we ever get lifted from uh, the, the the COVID situation, wants to have the academics at Oxford over at Blenheim Palace have a discussion about this, because um, and I haven't done anything at Oxford. I've lectured at Cambridge about this years ago to a group called Mensa. I always joke an alleged high IQ group 
or not. But um, I know I've been rather scathing references, but um, but I actually love being at, at Cambridge. Um, but this would be a wonderful thing to do because I think we need to join um, sort of a multidisciplinary discussion in academia about the science of consciousness, the physical sciences and physics behind what we're seeing with this these ET and UFO events, but also the philosophical and maybe even theological underpinnings of what does it mean that we're not alone in the universe and what is the basis for any relationship? You know, it, it, and it can't be humanism because they're not human. So humanism was cool about 150 years ago or 100 years ago, but it's, it's no longer sufficient. The paradigm of humanism is no longer sufficient now that we're dealing with non-human intelligent life forms. So it, it's a really a, a big um, discussion that should have been joined in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. But because of secrecy, our entire civilization is sort of, I hate to use the word retarded, thwarted, held back, retrograde because of it. And I think this is what we have to sort of uh, uh, remedy very quickly. I mean, we're running out of time to remedy it because this is all going to come out, and I, I'm afraid the public is not prepared to even discuss intelligently this issue or ask even the correct questions, although your questions have been great. Oh, well, thank you. Um, in fact, on the topic, Dr. Graham, I, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I just want to have one quick last question. Yes. If you were in charge of all the major world governments, what would be the project moving forward? How do we develop this philosophy where it's based on consciousness and what how do we interact in this new universe with with the knowledge of ets well i the first thing i would do is issue a stand down order taking and banning all weapons from space permanently and forever number two <laughs> i would then as uh, launch a global and rather enlightened initiative to make peaceful interactive diplomatic contact um, internationally with these civilizations on behalf of humans. Thirdly, um, I would advance through the educational system, not only the sciences that have been long withheld from the public um, about these objects and these peoples, because by the way, the only reason we're facing an environmental holocaust is because the energy and propulsion systems that run UFOs that we have figured out uh, at least 65 years ago, uh, have been withheld from the public. So we're still burning petrol as if we're in the 1800s, stupidly. So, um, or plugging in an electric car like a Tesla off a coal-fired or gas-fired power plant, which we also don't need. So there would be a huge focus on both the science, but also the sort of the paradigm of humans becoming interplanetary. And what are the prerequisites of that? Well, the first prerequisite is that we don't go out into space with, you know, weapons acting like, you know, we own the cosmos. Um, I think, you know, a certain amount of humility would be required, um, but that this would have to be an international effort. You couldn't have just one country doing this. You have to have the whole planet doing it. Um, so those are the, the things that I would tick off right at the top of the list right there. And, and as I said, in the educational system, in kindergarten, first grade, people should be learning about this, um, and it should be part of the, of the science books, but also the history books. Um, and more importantly, the sort of hidden sciences, not only dealing with consciousness, 
but dealing with energy, a very high voltage electromagnetic systems that pull energy out of what's called a zero point field that would run your car in your house without any pollution. All of this, are, it, it would completely revolutionize almost every aspect of academia. And by the way, that's one of the big problems is that, you know, as, as Lawrence Rockefeller said to me when I was out on his deck in the Grand Teton Mountains back in the 90s, and that's where he hosted the Clintons to talk about this problem. Um, he said, you know, no, no aspect of life on Earth will be unaffected by the disclosure of this. It's so vast and so profound. I say, yes, Lawrence, that's why it's secret. It isn't secret because it's, it's the stuff for the rubbishing in the tabloids, as Lord Hill Norton, your Minister of Defense, said. It's because it is, has such vast implications. He was hilarious, by the way. I loved it. He said, instead of it being the matter of rubbishing in the tabloids, and he was like in a rage over it um, because he knew it was real and, and he knew that the, the media universally treats it as nonsense. Dr. Greer, thanks. This has been a very um, interesting evening for me. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Uh, You're guys, welcome. Make sure that you watch Close Encounters of Fifth Planets on Amazon Prime. Um, thanks again, and thanks for listening. Or hey, if I get to the UK, maybe you can set up set up a lecture at one of your universities for us. Oh yeah, I'll I'll, I'll see to it that we do. Don't worry about that. You can mm. come come to UCL. That's where I am. Where are you? UCL. Oh great, wonderful. Well, uh, we'll hope I can meet you someday when I can get to the UK. Fantastic. Fantastic. All right, great. Have a good evening. You too.